0: Hello listeners, welcome to Green Minds, the Southeast Sustainability Directors Networks podcast. In this episode, Dr. Jairo Garcia explains in simple terms what is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. He also shares some tips on starting the community conversation about climate change. Then, my colleague in Roanoke, Virginia, Nell Boyle, talks about the impact of the IPCC report on her work. Dr. Garcia, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. First of all, please introduce yourself and uh, give us a little background on what you do.
1: Uh, yes, good morning, Catherine. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very pleased to be here. Uh, the um, SSDN and USDN are organizations that are very dear to me. Um, so um, very quickly about myself, um, my back, I have a, a degree in engineering, and uh, a master's in in, in computer science Uh, but then i I decided to dedicate my efforts in sustainability and climate change so i have a, a second master's degree from Columbia university from the prestigious earth institute in sustainability management and my doctoral dissertation was focused on education sustainability education and climate change so I, ha- I work for uh, some organizations, uh, probably some of you that you know, like uh, a Second Nature. I was a crazy fellow in Second Nature, working with universities, trying to help them um, achieve carbon neutrality you know, with their, I was helping them with the greenhouse gas emissions and climate action plans. And that's how I ended up working for the city of Atlanta. So I worked for the city of Atlanta. I developed the first um, sustainability report, a city sustainability report. Uh, using international standards like a GRI for some of you that know the uh, global report index and, and doing greenhouse gas emissions and obviously implemented the first climate action plan. Um, I, I was started back there when we were uh, doing a pilot of the, the global protocol for communities the, the the GPC protocol so I was you know playing around and using these, these standards in order to um, to do the greenhouse gas reports and the climate action plan and then, um, so I, I was the director of climate policies with the city of Atlanta, and then um, I, um, I developed the first climate action plan for the city, and it was the, one of the first ones in the southeast of the United States, and then um, at that time, uh, the EPA under the uh, Obama administration, they came in a war because all the effort that we're putting here in the city of Atlanta. And then after that, um, after we switched the major, I ended up working for um, I teaching classes at Georgia Tech right now in sustainable, uh, sustainable urban development and sustainable land use planning and climate policies. and I also teach classes with John Hawkins University online in climate policies analysis. So that is about me.
0: That is actually um, very impressive. Wow. Thank you. So let's let's jump right into the the meat of our topic today. Um, could you explain to us what is the IPCC? Uh,
1: thank you so much, because this is the IPCC, is, um, a, a lot of people have, don't have under, very understanding of what the IPCC is and why we should be uh, very concerned about why the IPCC is telling us about climate change. So the IPCC stands for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And that organization was created back in 1988, 1988, um, I uh, was just graduating from high school at that time. It was a long long time ago, 19, <laughs> na- 1988. And it was created by the United Nations Environment Program, the UNEP, and the World Meteorological Organization. So the idea of the creating this, organ- the IPCC, um, was to provide policymakers with scientific assessments of the current issues of climate change. Everything that is acknowledged in the scientific community the idea of the IPCC was to take those acknowledge and make it available to policymakers. Um, the IPCC does not do any research on climate change. What they do is to get the research that have done from prestigious journals, from prestigious organizations, take that, those, those assessments, those reports, those uh, research and prepare a document that they present to policymakers. So um, the IPCC, the contributions to the IPCC is done by thousands of scientists all over the world. There, there are, you know, some people think, oh, the IPCC is uh, some dudes They are in, in Geneva sitting, you know, alarming people. No, that is not a, a, the truth. The truth is that the IPCC, uh, the contributions to the IPCC are done by thousands of scientists all over the world that are doing Research in the status of a planet. And then they collect that information. And then, with that information, they prepare a report that they submit to policymakers. Um, so, um, volunteers from these volunteers uh, out assess thousands of scientific papers, publications each year to provide a very comprehensive um, uh, document and summary about what we know. Uh, of what is happening with climate change, what are the drivers, what are the impacts, what are the risks, um, how we can adapt to, uh, to mitigate the, the impacts of climate change. Um, and then because it's about scientists, the scientists are very, very conservative in their approach. They, so when the IPCC telling us that we are in trouble, is because not only is it, it, when they say that we are in trouble, that is a conservative, Conservative assessment. Think about this. When they say that we are in trouble, it's conservative assessment of thousands of scientists all over the world. Um, one of the things that I want to um, mention specifically during the time of the pandemic is we are in the trouble with the pandemics because we have not listened to the scientific community. Uh, there are plenty of documents from scientists telling us that a pandemic was coming, uh, specifically because the uh, uh, issues like deforestation and direct contact. With the, the natural environment, those barriers that are natural, we are eliminating those barriers. So we are we are letting those um, viruses that are containing in those specific areas, specifically the animal kingdom, to be transmitted to the humans. And for 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 years, I, I, decades, the scientific community is telling us about it, and practically we ignored it. And and that's exactly what is happening with climate change. So the IPCC. Is just collecting all those data, then thousands of scientists all over the world are telling us. And um, so far, we have ignored it. So Again, the IPCC was created in, in 1988. And since then, they are preparing reports. So um, the big report that the IPCC uh, created is called the, uh, the assessment report or AR assessment reports and they are very comprehensive analysis of, of what is going on. So far, there have been since 1988, has been six assessment reports. The last one was done in 2013 and 10 years, almost 10 years later, you know, 2021, 22, uh, it's almost 22, um, we had the, the number six assessment report and that is the most comprehensive study. But the IPCC also uh, elaborated special reports. Uh, So, like for instance, in 2018, the IPCC created a special report about the the oceans and the cryosphere, which basically are the the ice caps and uh, all those kind of things that have been affected by climate change. They also have a report about land, how climate change is affecting the land. They have a special report about the uh, the, the the other studies. They have one that is very dear to us that is done after the Paris Agreement as you you remember during the Paris Agreement, uh, the policymakers were talking about to set uh, the increase of temperature to two Celsius, but but they didn't have any scientific foundation to say that. So somebody said, wait a second, while we are talking about two Celsius, why we don't ask the scientific community to tell us what should be the, the threshold of increasing temperature on the planet. So the Paris Agreement contact the IPCC and the IPCC created this special report in 2016, that is called the global warming 1.5 Celsius, in which is telling us that 1.5 Celsius, the increase of temperature of 1.5 Celsius is very daring for the planet. Um, And then we cannot go to 2 Celsius. 2 Celsius will be totally devastating for for humanity and for ecosystems in the planet. Um, So I don't want to um, um, go beyond that. I just want to say that, uh, that the IPCC is an international organization that works with thousands of scientists. The latest report was prepared for more than 234 scientists for 66, from 66 countries, and then they are telling us that that uh, they, um, this uh, when they say highly probability is basically they are unanimously saying humans are causing um, the 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 global or, or the warming of the planet. Human activities. Specifically, greenhouse gas emissions are causing uh, the increase in temperature in the planet they, uh, they, um, because they can measure that the co two concentrations has been the the um, the highest in the in at least two million years in two million years, we haven't had the amount of concentrations on carbon. but we know what the carbon are coming. you know I calculate greenhouse gas emissions, and I can explain very quickly how we do that. By the way, I used to do that with the uh, USDN. I was helping uh, people to prepare uh, small towns, prepare greenhouse gas emissions, because that's the way that we can measure how dangerous we are and and what the impact that we are doing in the environment. So in the latest report, the IPCC AR number six, the IPCC is telling us that the planet is warming, that we are right now um, in, in a very daring situation. Um, they are telling us that that climate climate is changing and we see every day uh, is something that is not ha- it's not going to happen in the future. It's happening right now. Uh, the consequences are daring. We know the fires in the West, we know the floods in the East, you know, the floods in Europe, the floods in um, in um, in the in the Southeast Asia, everywhere. Uh, the increase of typhoons, the increase of hurricanes. Um, they, so we know that the, the, the planet is, is, is warmer already, and the impact is, is obvious. What it's telling us in this report is that if we don't control the greenhouse gases, this, what we are experiencing right now, is absolutely nothing that what is coming. Um, for something that the scientific community, we call the, um, the, uh, the feedback, positive feedback, which is nothing positive. On the contrary, is that as we warm the planet, the causes that cause climate change and hurricanes and tornadoes are accelerated more and creating more intensity storms, more intensity hurricanes, more sea, sea level rise, more floods, more fires, and that is go back and then increase the intensity. Uh, so, like for instance, according to the models, they use computer models to calculate what will happen in the, in the near future. I'm not talking about distant future; in the near future, um, they are talking about that events that used to happen hun- every every hundred years. Now it's going to happen every five years, um, which is totally devastating and something that you know w- w- uh, two generations used to happen. Right now, we are going to experience it in our lifetime, several times um, in, in our lifetime. So it's very daring. And then it's, it's a call. What the, the scientific community is telling us that we can control this, at least make it stable. We can control this. And the solution is so simple, but at the same time, so complicated the solution is we have to stop burning fossil fuels. Pure, It's simple like that. But as you can see, all the opposition, all the um, the, uh, the denial, all the um, obstacles that they're trying to, to, uh, to people put uh, just because they are afraid of change when the scientific community is telling us that we need to change. I don't know if I'm describing right what the IPCC is doing, but I hope that it helps to everybody.
0: Oh, yes, this is fantastic. Thank you for breaking it down uh, into simple terms because it's it's a little intimidating when you go to the website and we start reading the report. Um, it's it's not as clear as you explained it. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so it, it feels like, um, well, we have been saying the same thing or almost since 1988, building up the case for climate change and, and the need for action. Um, in your mind, what what is the role of local government? How can we make use of these
1: conclusions? So um, th- this is a good question. This is what is happening. We know that the scientific community, scientific community, I work well with scientists. You know, um, I love to read the papers, but scientists, um, you know, when I was at school, is the the more complicated the term, the more successful I can be. <laughs> so they complicated things because they are training to do that and they want to basically uh, uh, impress their colleagues when they do that you know indirectly what they are doing is they are um, making things complicated for people um, so I have I have you know again I work with scientists at, at, at Georgia Tech and and, and you know I have a wonderful professor her name is King, King Cobb and then she agrees with that she says we need to We need to talk to people, we need to help with people, but that is just beginning. Now the IPCC, as I mentioned, is um, work with scientists and they get the scientific uh, information. So when the uh, the IPCC put those reports, there's tremendous amount of scientific data, um, which is fascinating for those that love science. But it can make things complicated for specifically policymakers, even though they have a special report for policymakers, is extremely complicated. And then the other thing that the IPCC does obviously is working in uh, it's a global issue. So they are talking about you know, the atmosphere uh, uh, radiation, and they are talking about the acidification of the oceans, and they're talking about the increasing temperatures. And you see the maps are extremely very, very difficult. What I would recommend. To um, to to people specifically here in the United States is that um, you want to figure out how climate change has impacted your local communities. Uh, instead of looking to the IPCC, look at what the the federal government is doing in the United States since 1990s. Since 1990s, the United States has been reported on climate change, and people don't 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 know this, and it's just very frustrating. Uh, that the people doesn't know that we, you know, the United States is doing this for a long time. For a long time, the United States has been a believer of climate change. And I, I, I shouldn't say believer; understand the issues of climate change because climate change isn't about believing. You know, it is about physics. You know, we don't believe in gravity; gravity sticks regardless of we believe it or not. We shouldn't believe in climate change because climate change is happening, whatever we like it or not, or we want we believe it or not. Uh, so so in 1990, under a Republican president, get this, under a Republican president, it was senior Bush who created these commissions that was called the Global Change Research Act. This was enacted by the Republican president, Global Change Re- Re- Research Act of 1990, and then mandates, mandates this organization that is called the U.S. Global Change Research Program, I'm going to be talking about this This organization. It's called the US Global Change Research Program, to prepare a report and submit it to Congress and to the President of the United States every four years. We do have a homemade climate scientific assessment of how climate change is impacted the United States. And the, the, the reason this is very powerful is because, I'm going to mention that in a second, because it's localized. It's just how it's affecting us right here. So again, this report has been made since 1990. Uh, the last report was published in 2017 and 2018. The name of the report is, and the report is free. Everybody can download it, and the website is fantastic. It's called the National Climate Assessment. The National Climate Assessment. Please Google it. You go to the National Climate Assessment. And then you find all the reports of this organization that is called um, the, um, the Global Change Research Program. This Global Research uh, uh, Program is, um, is, com- uh, uh, is formed for by 14 federal organizations. That includes the Department of Commerce, Department of State, the Department of Interior, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Transportation, the Smithsonian Institute, the Department of Health, and nasa the department of defense the department of agriculture the department of energy epa all those organizations work in order to prepare this report so in, and this is nothing this is, i truly believe that is is a purpose that organizations don't want certain organizations specifically in talking about the fossil fuel industry don't want the people of america to understand that we these these organizations have been working the science of climate change since 1990 and prepare this report every four years again i recommend you to go there to the national climate assessment the pretty of this is that the, the people who put in this together are are incredible you can go for the region where you live i think they are divided the, well, in six regions and then you can download even in a PowerPoint presentation, you can download a PowerPoint presentation that you can modify, they allow you to modify, uh, giving the credits to the National Climate Assessment to talk about how climate change is impacting your specific area. So many information um, is in those reports, uh, including uh, you know, how we are impacting the scientific data, but they have two volumes. <clears throat> one is about the scientific data, the other one is about how it's impacting the, the United States. Um, and then it tells us about how the temperatures in, in certain regions are increasing. For instance, I live in in, um, in the Southeast, so I download the presentation from the Southeast, and then it's telling me how the temperatures are going to increase by 2050, how the temperatures are increased by 2070, how the temperatures are going to increase by 2100, how the nights. This is very important because we care about during the day temperatures, but the night temperatures are extremely important, specifically for agriculture. How the nice, um, the temperature and the nights nice are increasing, how the amount of mosquitoes are, are displacing in the region, um, the amount of, you know, if you live in coastal areas, the tides, how they are increasing the sea level rise in the region, uh, the projections, how high the, 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 sea, level, uh, the sea level rise is going to increase. Many organizations collaborate in this report, including, you know, the NOAA, the National Oceanographic Administration. Um, and then, by again, this goes by regions is extremely powerful. So, my recommendation for your local communities: go to the National Climate Assessment, download the region where you live, and see with your own eyes how climate change is impacting you. Based on those scientific data, they can you determine what are the actions that you can uh, you can implement in your respective um, location.
0: That's a very important and uh, great resource all of this climate change challenge can be difficult to tackle for, for small cities. So what would be, if, even if you only have one a recommendation for, for the sustainability managers, the, the planners, or the city managers of small municipalities that have not started talking about climate change, what do you think should be the starting point?
1: So that's, that's a great question. So we are, we are, um, you know, people say we are in the same boat. One of my friends says, no, we are in different boats, but in the same storm. So we are having the same storm and climate change is going to affect us all. If the climate change haven't affected yet, which I don't believe it's affecting us all right now, it's going to affect us sooner or later. It's going to affect us all. So we, the, we all have to work on this. We all have to work on this. This is a, a, a human crisis because we only have one house. This is this planet Earth? That's that's all. We cannot go anywhere else. And and then we, it's basically melting, you know, going between our fingers, you know, being destroyed in front of our eyes. You know, we see the fires, we see the storms, we see uh, we see how people are being impacted. You know, um, how is our economy is being impacted. When when people said, "Oh no, it's just too expensive to move to renewables," imagine how expensive it is not to move to renewables. You know, when you don't have the land to to to, to, to work, uh, we have seen towns totally destroyed. There is a small town in North Carolina that is not there anymore. It's being impacted twice in the last uh, the last six years, twice by the hurricanes, and the city is, is completely destroyed, um, is is eradicated from the map. But we don't hear those news, um, and it's a shame that you know the newspapers don't give the importance of climate change. But that is happening. So the, we are all in the in in the same storm. So we it requires all of us to work on this. Um, so the first thing that I recommend is first of all, just get all together. Um, call uh, people that are that are environmental organizations that are very involved on in this, including social organizations, because climate change is impacting mostly the poor communities of color. Just getting in, in a table together, you know, the Sierra Club, the uh, the um, um, organizations of color, uh, organizations of uh, any kind of organization that is being affected, either uh, in one way or the other, or is working in environmental issues, the Aramone Society, the um, all these organizations, get in together and start these conversations, start how, what we can do, and then start to listen to the people how we can do. There are many things that they can offer to do. Uh, so the first thing is to be a facilitator. That's what I did with the city of Atlanta. The first thing that I did was to just get all these organizations together in a conference. I, I fed them, uh, you know, some juice and some uh, some donuts, and then we talk <laughs> about this. We talk about this, this, and then and then we learn. We met, we made each that we know that we we have a common cause, and the common cause is climate change. We need to address climate change. So once we started the process, then. As a community, uh, chances are that you're going to decide what are the next steps addressing climate change is addressing many aspects of what we have done for for decades, many things that we had done for decades, for instance. Um, the dependency of, uh, tra- of transportation in cars that we can we don't have a space to walk our dogs, because there are no sidewalks and uh, that we cut all the trees, and then we have floods, and then we have to spend thousands of dollars cleaning the water before putting back you know, in, our, in, our, in our rivers. So um, to what about green infrastructure? What about we plant trees? What about we create more parks? Um, and then um, so the public health, you know, cars, we know that produce produces enormous amount of pollution. It's affecting our communities, it's affecting our kids. There are plenty of studies that shows that the kids that are exposed to uh, fumes for cars uh, uh, have problems developing. There are plenty of studies that shows that. So why we don't reduce uh, a, a cars, or at least uh, declare zones with cars can affect our children. Uh, so all those things are helping climate change, and all those things are affecting our communities. So um, so again, my first step is to get together with your, uh, with the people in your community. There are chances are there are people who love birds, So get the people from the uh, Audubon Society. Uh, chances are that there are people that are concerned about getting the floods. The there are people that are working in, in that community affected by floods, affected by droughts, or affected by heat. Um, and then have those these conversations. Uh, chances are that they, the first step as a community is perhaps to assess how much this community is affecting um, the, the problems. Is how much ma- how many contributions of carbon this community is putting in the environment why this is important because once you analyze what are the main sources of the problem perhaps you can start to work on that for for example here in atlanta obviously one of the biggest problems is transportation so what about we start to talk about transportation but in order to do that we need to assess we need to figure out how much carbon is coming from transportation and then organizations like ssdn or usdn like I, i was with the usdn um as a climate policy director with the city of Atlanta, we were trying to help small communities with the greenhouse gas emissions inventories. And we had this project to uh, to uh, people in big cities to dedicate, volunteer, we do this work as a volunteer, to volunteer some time to go to those communities and help them to assess the greenhouse gas emissions inventories. Again, why this is important? Because then you can detect what are the biggest problems. When you put the greenhouse gas emissions in, in inventories, you know where the emissions are coming, you know where the problems are, and then you start to work on that. How much money the city is spending cleaning their the river, you know? And how you know that because you are spending money in the uh, water cleaning facility, in energy. So uh, is this those prices increasing? How you can reuse those prices? Well, develop green infrastructure they hold the water and start letting runoffs, and then avoid floods. Um, so uh, a greenhouse gas inven- in- emissions inventory is the second step, and the third step obviously start to implement like, a small climate action plan. We are doing, I used to work with universities, universities implement greenhouse gas emissions inventories and climate action plans. So there is no reason why not municipalities are uh, developing their own greenhouse gas emissions inventories and the climate action plans. And then you don't really need a huge expert and a huge bunch of people. I did it by myself, only one by myself, with the city of Atlanta, um, just just uh, talking to people. Uh, so again, go back to step number one, talking to people, get the get Um, the community behind you. And then once you you created that that sense of community, then you can move forward with those steps, other steps.
0: Thank you so much for your advice and on all the information that you had to share with us. Um, This was a great conversation. We we truly appreciate it. So thank you, Dr. Garcia.
1: No, thank you so much. Thank you, Catherine.
0: Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. To get started, please introduce yourself and tell us about your career in sustainability so far. Thank
2: you, Catherine. I'm glad to be here. So I had a very circuitous route to sustainability, which is probably true for all of us. But uh, I actually was mostly a stay-at-home mom with a husband that uh, traveled quite a bit and moved around quite a bit, but I did do some interior design work in course of that I did a lot of new construction work and I was in Atlanta and saw a lot of um, interesting development practices and construction practices that disturbed me a little bit some areas did better with that than others Um, and so that sort of got me into the environmental movement and started looking at green building practices we were transferred here to Virginia and when we got here um, I became a volunteer on a cradle to cradle project, a design build competition. And we selected a home from these architectural drawings that came from all over the world. It was really quite a a wonderful event and Bill McDonough supported us through this. So we had um, excellent outpouring of great um, plans and opportunities to do a cradle to cradle house in the city of Roanoke in one of our low income neighborhoods. Anyway, to make a long story short, uh, I ended up going to work for that organization and um, helped to construct that house. And when that was over, uh, I went to work for a local construction company that was interested in taking a lead in green building. So I got my lead AP and I started doing a lot of work with the U.S. Green Building Council. I was a long time and still am a long time volunteer with that group. And I really got involved with that. But during the course of that, I started to work with the city of Roanoke because we had a business coalition that was headed up by my boss at the construction company and one of the city council people at the city. And we invited some of the leaders in the area to take the challenge to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. And it was quite successful. It was a five-year commitment. However, the group actually were able to achieve it in two years. So it was really successful. I worked closely with the city And so when the time came uh, and they started a position here at the city, I came to the city of Roanoke and I am the sustainability and outreach coordinator. So that was pretty exciting. Um, We were early adopters to this whole concept of energy efficiency and reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. We were actually the first city in the state of Virginia to take the challenge and to reduce our greenhouse, or I'm sorry, to do our greenhouse gas inventory um, we had a baseline of 2005 we did our first report in 2007 and then in 2008 we set our goals um, which were pretty ambitious at that time and they were uh, for the community we had a 10 percent goal for the municipality we had a 125 percent goal at the end of the five years we had a community redu- reduction of 13 percent and a municipal reduction of 25. so we were pretty pretty pleased with that Um, it's not been as easy since then however we continue to uh, report our community emissions to council every year and we have really done a lot of great work particularly in energy efficiency Um, and as you probably are aware roanoke's a pretty small community we're a city that's hundred thousand people the greater roanac valley is a little larger but the city itself is only hundred thousand people so Um, I think that Roanoke's always taken a lead in this department. It's pretty exciting to be at the helm and to watch how things have progressed over the years and we're finally making some real headway.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's very impressive. You're right. There's typically uh, an expectation that larger cities are going to be at the forefront. Um, But I've noticed a few, quite a few members of uh, SSDN that are doing amazing work, and they have doing so in in very small communities. Um, That's definitely inspiring for for me at Sandy Springs. Um, Let's let's move on to our topic of the day. Um, So we already know about climate change. What does the IPCC report number six tell us that we didn't know already?
2: I think what impressed me the most is the depth and the scope and the validity of the science, not that it hasn't always been valid. I don't mean it that way, but I think that they're coming forward in such a more um, a stronger position on what they say and where that science is and that that science is really solid. And also the reporting of it over all the years, right? This is number six. So we keep hearing about it and we're watching that process, how it's changing, how it's not changing in the way that we thought it was going to change. And that's a little disturbing as well. But I think it is getting people's attention. The regional focus, I think, is interesting too. You know, I think we talked a little bit about this earlier that the Southeast doesn't really look like we're going to get some of the hardest hits. But, you know, as we all know, This country is a system. And so, you know, if your neighboring state is having trouble with droughts or fires or, you know, hurricanes or whatever it might be, or, you know, sea level rise, it can be any of those things. I know for us in Roanoke, we have the Virginia coastal region, and that Virginia coastal region is very much at risk. So they tend to get a lot of the focus, but you know we've done a lot of work here in Virginia to say that doesn't—it's not—doesn't stop there, because what happens when those people leave that community, and you know you get these climate migration of people looking for new places to go that are safer? Well, chances are they're going to come right up the hill to a place like where we are, where we're uh, close, but we're out of that flooding range. However, you know, we have our own problems with flooding here in in Virginia. Um, We sit at the basin of a whole host of mountains that go around our community. And our downtown is sort of at the bottom of the well. So flooding is a huge problem for us. So when I look at this report, I think it's great, again, to have this more significant data. And I know that there's some real focus on some other areas, but to me, I don't think we can ignore the fact that there are going to be ramifications for all of our communities when these other communities become stressed. Food supply products, its its a we're not going to go unscathed.
0: Yes, absolutely. And if, if you're just thinking about uh, supply chains, all the ports are in coastal cities, obviously. So definitely even inland communities are going to be somehow impacted. So how do you think cities can make the best use of that information? What can we do with that 1.5
2: Celsius? So ironically, or maybe in a timely way, we were getting ready to do our greenhouse gas uh, reporting to city council uh, in the middle of August and just days before we spoke to our council, which hears this report every year. So they're, you know, I mean, councils change a little bit, but they're pretty well-versed in this conversation. And as I said, we've been adopting this for a while, but I would also say that I think our council has gotten a little complacent because we did do so much early on and, you know, we really were forward thinking, but, you know, the standards have changed. You know, we have to up our game. It's a much more serious and timely issue than it was 12 years ago. So, fortunately for us, that report came out right before we went to council. And we did talk about the report in our council briefing. And as a result of that, council has asked us to revisit our resolution for climate emissions reductions and to reset that with a much more aggressive goal. And I think it really made an impression on them that. We're doing good work, but we we need to really put this up to a different level so i've just been given the charge to completely rework our climate action plan. And to bring another level of science to it with some software for planning and i'm getting some support I haven't had in the past, so I think um, the awareness that that one report. really brought to the table at the right time for me, of course. It was very profound and I think it really changed and shifted the way that council views our work and the the importance and the urgency that we really need to to step this up and we need to step it up now. So I'm hoping that you know we aren't the only community that's looking at it from this perspective that this is some pretty serious science and what we thought was true isn't true. It's it's more aggressive than we thought and We really have the power to do something that can make a difference. You know, Catherine, just as a little sideline, I tell everybody about this, but you may be aware of it. Uh, NOAA has a tool called Climate Explorer, where you can go in and you can type in your zip code, and it'll show you the trend that they see for your community with mitigation, without mitigation, you know, what, what that range is could happen in your zip code. And I use that all the time. Because it really brings it home to, you know, at Roanoke, we could have our uh, average temperature go up as much as six or seven degrees by the end of this century, that's astronomical, you know, that's crazy. So there's my plug for NOAA's Climate Explorer, I think it's like the best thing ever, and uh, it, I use it every time I talk to people, I show them this is, this is your neighborhood, and this is what could happen.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that resource. Not everybody has access to a lot of local data. I actually have found that it's pretty hard to find, you know, regional trends are are great, but like you were saying, it doesn't bring the story home as much as as it could. So definitely uh, thank you for sharing that. And uh, overall, thank you for sharing your your story. And um, I'm glad to hear that The interest has been rekindled for your position and that Roanoke is really positioning itself to tackle that problem in a very effective manner. Thank you for your time, we really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you and good luck in your work. And um, yeah, may may we all make some progress here. Thank you. This concludes this month's episode.
0: Thank you for listening. Please be sure to tune in for our next installment that will be hosted by Laurel Creech.